Welcome back to the Clement Podcast, bringing you state and national history locally. This is episode 5.2, the second episode in a two-part Clement conversation with former U.S. Congressman Bob Clement. If you haven't listened to part one, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to that first and then meet us back here for the second part. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the transition from Cumberland University president to Congress. It's towards the end of the 1980s, and there is a congressional race that you start looking at. So let's talk about you and your beginning of your congressional career. I felt like it was time for a new challenge, and I noticed the 5th Congressional District uh, may be a real opportunity there. And I'd been wanting to run for Congress anyway, even prior to 1987, but uh, hadn't had that opportunity, and it looked like the, the time had come that seat was going to open up, and Bill Boner, who was the U.S. congressman in the 5th Congressional District, got elected mayor of Nashville. Therefore, he vacated the uh, seat, forced a special election, but it was a 60-day election, so that's fast. My primary was in December, and my general election was in January. You wonder if anyone's going to vote, but a lot of people voted. And of course, that would start that'd be the beginning of what turned out to be an eight-term uh, congressional career, Eight 15 terms, years. 15 years, yeah. Quite amazing. Now, what was it like? Because going in at that particular time period with your a special election with a general election in January, were you the only one entering Congress the at the time? I was the only one. So now, usually they have the classes. Of, class of one. And, and the problem was there was no orientation, really. So you're really on your own until the... <laughs> The next class comes in, which would be a year off. So it's on-the-job training, and uh, and, you're, and you're voting immediately. I was invited to the White House the first uh, week by President Ronald Reagan. He was serving his last term, last year of his second term as uh, President of the United States. And I really appreciated uh, his offer, and I accepted. I didn't know he was going to have 12 people there versus just me, or I'd at least taken some staff along with me. He had General Colin Powell and many others there, but uh, it was quite a meeting. What would you meet about? We met on contrade. Uh, at that particular time, it was a huge vote, and I wasn't. I, I really didn't know that we we're going to talk about that. Contra aid was a contra aid was huge. That was a scandal. And really wanted me, and he knew I had served in the military and was in the National Guard and all that. And and the question was, are we going to continue to support the contras in Nicaragua? Because the Sandinistas or communists were in, in in charge and all that, but it was not working, and we were spending federal money unnecessarily. And I I shared with President Reagan and General Colin Powell and the ten others <laughs> that were there that I said I really appreciate you inviting me here, but I I have to think back. To Vietnam 
and I served during that period of time, even though I didn't go to Vietnam. We were fighting a war of containment rather than fighting a war to win, and I think we're doing the same thing in Nicaragua. And we cut off, we, I voted to cut off aid like others did, Democrats, and we cut off aid, and what happened after that is unbelievable, is that uh, the Contras quit fighting, but the people uh, rallied their forces and kicked the Sandinistas out of, out of power, and we saved a lot of federal dollars. Oh, that's great. But Ronald Reagan was not the first president that you had met, and it wasn't your first trip to the White House. No, it really wasn't. The first time I ever went to the White House is right after Dad got elected governor of Tennessee, January of 1953. Dwight Eisenhower had just been elected president of the United States and invited us to the White House. I don't know why Mother and Dad had invited me to go along with them, but here I'm age nine, and so I've got a great picture that I cherish uh, with uh, my mother and dad and, uh, and President Eisenhower at the Oval Office in Washington, D.C. And of course, you've met just about every president since President Harry Truman. I've met every president uh, from Harry Truman all the way through uh President Biden. The only one I've missed is uh, President Trump. I never did get to meet him. All of those presidents, of course, make our history. Uh, and each one is so very different from the others. What's your impressions of them maybe as a whole, or which one were you the most impressed by? Well, I would have to say uh, the ones that I served with, and I served with four presidents, both Bushes, Bush 41 and 43, and I also uh, served with Ronald Reagan, but also Bill Clinton. And I served eight of those years were with uh, President Bill Clinton, and I, I was closer to him than I was any of the others. And I was over at the Oval Office on a regular basis, too, on various issues and all that. And so... And, and I had a chance to fly on Air Force One and Air Force Two and all that during that period of time, which was quite an experience because I was on the uh, three committees, Transportation Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee, and the Budget Committee, so I was right in the middle of the action. Looking at all that, first I, I want you to tell the story about golfing with President Clinton. President uh, Clinton invited me to play golf with him at the Army-Navy Country Club next to the Pentagon, and I was at the U.S. Capitol. I told him, I said, Mr. President, I really appreciate that, but I don't have any golf clubs with me. Oh, don't worry about it, Bob. i got an extra set of Callaways, and meet me out there in 30 minutes. <laughs> That's not much time to get organized, and then I'm rushing out there, and then I, I knew I didn't have any clothes. I had my suit on, but I got there before he did, went in the clubhouse and bought $240 worth of clothes so I could play with the president. Short shoes, glove, cap, man, I look good. <laughs> and But we got on the back, one of the back holes, and I, just the two of us playing, and I had a tree in front of me, I said, and we were sitting in the golf cart, and I said, Mr. President, you might want to move that golf cart. He said, oh, Bob, I'm all right. So I hit the golf ball. It hit the tree, came back on the president. Bam! Hit the 
hit the uh, golf cart, but I almost hit the president rather than the golf cart. And uh, he jumped, I jumped, and the Secret Service jumped because <laughs> I could have killed the president on the golf course. Uh, but thank God I didn't. But uh, the first thing President Clinton says, Bob, you almost made a lot of new friends today. And I could just visualize headlines, Tennessee congressman kills president, Tennessee <laughs> vice president, Al Gore becomes president. <laughs> just for those who may not be as familiar with the job, what was the role of a representative? What do they do? How do they act? How does that differ from the senators? Well, in the House, U.S. House of Representatives, you have 435 members of Congress. And where in the U.S. Senate, you have 100 members of the U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate has two members from each state. Where U.S. House of Representatives, it's based upon population. Like today now, under reapportionment and all that, you'll have each congressman will represent around 800,000 people. I represented there because we had less population at that time, around 700,000 people. And so the state of Tennessee, we have nine congressmen and two U.S. senators. But each of us has a vote. But you have to vote on the floor. You can't vote in your office. You can't vote at home. You have to vote on the floor. And they give you 15 minutes to cast your vote. Wow. Now, uh, what are some of the pieces of legislation, something you sponsored, something you supported, uh, that you are the most proud of during your time in Congress? Well, I voted on thousands of uh, pieces of legislation, and a lot of people don't realize they're hard to believe, but only about 3% of the bills introduced ever become law over a Congress, which a Congress is over a two-year period of time, first session, session, second session, and I introduced a lot of legislation, but one thing I'm really proud of is even in my first full term to get a major piece of legislation through Congress. I mean, most members been there 20 plus years were not able to do that. And I, but I work with the Nashville International Airport and introduced a bill on noise abatement and reimbursement act because we wanted to improve the airport. We wanted to solve the noise problem. We wanted to insulate homes. We wanted to acquire more property. And so that meant about over $100 million. And as you know, Nashville International Airport's one of the premier airports in the United States. But that's one piece of legislation. And then also, uh, being a veteran myself, I was also able to get through early uh, some uh, major support for the Nashville VA Hospital, put a new face on it in a parking lot and, and care for our veterans, not only in Tennessee, but all over the country. But uh, I've worked very hard, too, on transportation dollars. Uh, when I came to Congress, we were only getting about $360 million a year. I'm talking about federal dollars uh, for Tennessee. 
and I was able to get the formula changed because we were really being penalized. The north and the east were making out like bandits, and the south and the west were being shortchanged simply because we'd had a major population shift from the north and the east to the south and the west, but we were operating under an old formula, and I was able to get that changed. And uh, we went from $360 million in federal dollars for transportation in Tennessee to $800 million. That just didn't happen. We made it happen. What was your biggest challenge that you found in Congress? Well, the one I I guess I was upset about and more disappointed about, and I'm still mad at myself for (laughs) voting that way, was the second Iraqi war. And uh, I wish I hadn't voted for it, uh, but President George W. Bush... 43 uh, through the uh, intelligence committee we got a lot of bad erroneous information that Iraq had chemical biological nuclear capability which they didn't have any we'd already knocked that out they were just not a major threat and we wasted a lot of money matter of fact the United States spent about three trillion dollars on that second Iraqi war and I would love to have spent that money on health care and transportation and education rather than uh, Saddam Hussein, because I really think, and I, I might be wrong, but I, th- I think Saddam would maybe changed his colors just like Gaddafi did in uh, Libya and throw up his hands, I, I don't want to fight the West anymore, and uh, try to find another way out of it, because war should be the last resort, not the first option. Right, right. But you were also involved in um, the the Gulf War. You had a, a role in that, at least with advising in, in President Bush. Well, a, a Agent Orange, because, as you know, I you know I was supposed to have gone to Vietnam. I was in the U.S. Army, but my father killed an automobile accident, and they took me off orders for Vietnam. So I never did go to Vietnam, but I served during that period of time. But I always had a real appreciation for our veterans and wanted to do more to help them. And and Agent Orange, a lot of veterans, because of their exposure to chemicals in Vietnam, had become very sick. Many died. And uh, so uh, I I led a charge there. I was on the uh, Veterans Affairs Committee. We had a great chairman from Mississippi, Chairman Sonny Montgomery. And and I worked with him very closely to uh, bring about some help, support for our veterans. What do you think is something about that job, being a congressman or being in the Capitol building, that, that the public doesn't quite realize well i hate to say it today we got a lot of stalemate and gridlock and and the way we operated when i was there attack the issue don't attack your fellow colleague democrat or republican we'd even have retreats on the weekend on, on civility i just think members of congress now are missing a lot of real opportunities by taking the low road and it's costing us dearly and i really think it's threatening democracy 
No, I agree with you. And uh, so I'm not a happy camper. I believe in democracy. I believe in our way of life. But I think every generation has to fight, fight hard to preserve our way of life. Now, what was that change that you think between what what you served under? Because they Mm -hmm. don't do the retreats on civility anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't spend as much time working anymore. Where do you see the change between your time in Congress and and what's going on in there now? Well, I I saw it happening when I was there, the change taking place. And this was 1994. And I liked him. And matter of fact, this person could say more in fewer words than any politician I know, and that's Newt Gingrich when he was elected uh, Speaker of the House. But he felt like he had to blow up all the bridges to keep his party in power. I don't think he had to do that to accomplish his goals and objectives. But unfortunately, I, I saw the change occurring. The problem is it's continued to uh, develop uh, wrongly negatively and where we're going backward rather than going forward what would you say could be a remedy to fix that you know it's going to take time now i mean i go up to washington now and i still go up there i'm on the board of the former members of congress association as elected by the other members to represent their interest on our board we all as former members get along great democrat and republican alike where the present members, they don't like one another, don't trust one another, will not work with one another. It's totally a meltdown. And if you propose anything as a Democrat, you're not going to get any support from a Republican, and the same thing, a Republican can't get any support from a Democrat. So you got a standoff, and uh, not good. No, not, 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 not good at all but i don't i don't i i I wish i could see that that uh changing uh right now but it's going to take a while for us to get back to civility Civility, again uh one of the things you keep talking about are chapters of life so Mm -hmm. you you are in a a great chapter bob i think Mm -hmm. of your life right now you've done a lot since you you left congress and again thank you for your service to the nation um but since you've left Congress, you've you've written a book, Presidents, Kings, and Convicts, which you can find at the Clement Railroad Hotel <laughs> Museum. We sell it in the gift shop. Uh, you come pick up a copy. Bob signs just about everyone we got, so you can get a signed Bob Clement copy of Bob Clement's book. It is a really great book. It's a, a biography of his life, uh, covering it from uh, his birth up through uh, what he's kind of doing now. So, Bob, question is for me, what are you doing now? You mentioned about writing the book, two things I'm awful proud of since I left Congress is uh, writing the book, but also uh, helping found the Clement Museum. Governor Frank G. Clement Railroad Hotel Museum, and that's a big deal. And we had the dedication in 2009, and we're going strong and got a great staff. And We appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, Zach, and thank you, Jasmine. So we got a – and Taylor, <laughs> and thank all of you for making a difference and taking us to a new level. It is, and, that, and that's what we – what we strive to do is always to keep 
the museum moving forward, keep the history out there, keep everything going in a good direction. But I'm also in the real estate business. I'm having a big time. As I told you, I've got a college degree, University of Tennessee in real estate. So I'm affiliated with Mossy Oak Properties out of Franklin. Tennessee, and and so we specialize in farmland, open land, raw land, and so I show farms, and I've had a big time doing that too, and uh, being able to get outdoors and uh, and meeting a lot of great people. Well, Bob, you're a Renaissance man. And you Tennessee, sell books and well, land. Tennessee is such a beautiful state, and got such a great heritage, and it's pretty easy to sell. Tennessee to the world. Oh, very easy. It's it's a good sell. And I'll tell and encourage everybody, of course, I always do, come by the Clement Museum. Uh, Of course, our hours are online, our website, uh, www.clementrailroadmuseum.org. And if you come on the right day, you might run in to Mr. Bob Clement here. (laughs) Of course, he's on our board of directors and he's in quite often. Uh, him and his wife, Mary. And if uh, anything to say about Mary Clement, I'll tell you what, well, if there's a person going to heaven, it's Mary Clement. Well, we've been married 45 years, and what a great marriage it's been. And we got got four great children, but we also have five grandchildren that are keeping me busy. They're between age 6 and age 11, so I've, I've had a big time being with them, and uh, and I've learned much just through that experience. I didn't know being a grandfather you can have so much fun, but, but Mary Clement has a special gift, and she's uh, just one of those kind, gentle souls that uh, she never meets a stranger and she's made a real difference at the museum too as y'all know and because she's very very active and and uh, very active on the advisory committee but very active in every way to help us all and i'll tell anybody if you doubt bob clement's influence as a politician as a democratic politician when you met mary she was a republican that's right that's right. She'd worked for a, a Republican governor and a Republican uh, congressman. And uh, I've got a great picture here at the house here in Nashville uh, uh, when Mary and I were at uh, U.S. Capitol. And uh, now I shouldn't say U.S. Capitol. We were at the White House. And President Reagan knew Mary had worked for two Republicans. And a great picture of President Reagan leaning over to Mary. Mary, talk to Bob about switching from Democrat to Republican. (laughs) And, of course, you and Mary are both laughing in the photo uh, with President Reagan there. Uh, So, Bob, it has been great uh, to sit down with you today. So, Bob, any last words, any bits of information or anything you want to leave the folks with? No, Zach, I just want to invite everyone to the Clement Museum. Come see us in Dixon, Tennessee. It's a special place. We founded it in 2009, and a lot of history, local history, state history, uh, national, international history, and we're trying to make a difference, and we want you to help and be part of this dream we all have. And, of course, you said it best. Uh, Of course, all of that is... The, the purpose of this podcast, the Clement Podcast, where we bring you state and national history 
locally. Uh, so, Bob, it's been great talking with you again. Uh, Jasmine and I were very excited to be able to sit down with you, and, and uh, we'll leave it at that. I will add one more thing, especially as I know Mary would want me to mention it. November 10th of this year is our annual legacy event, and we have a special guest speaker, Cal Turner Jr., the former CEO of Dollar General, and our honoree and musical guest, Mark Colley. All of the information for tickets is on our website or Facebook, uh, which if you just search Clement Railroad Hotel Museum or at CRHM underscore Dixon, it's all there. And you don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions about anything. And you can also find all of our future and upcoming events on our website and Facebook as well. And as always, take us out, Frank. Precious Lord, take our hand, lead us all. Thank you.